people are always seemingly pointing to games in which Alabama has nothing to play for, so they're going to be flat. Well, they've only that's only happened a couple times, and it's been eight years since that happened last. So I think Alabama is going to show up, and I think Alabama is going to play well. I'd be surprised. This is a culture indicator. Bryce Young wants to play. Will Anderson wants to play. The other guys want to play. I'd be surprised if they didn't play well in the game. Always College Football with Greg McElroy is presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Hello and welcome in. Today is a Thursday edition of Always College Football. It's December 29th, and I hope that you're enjoying the show, wherever you're getting the show, whether that's on the ESPN YouTube channel or if you're here with us via the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out and it helps the show out. We hope that you've had a phenomenal holiday season. We know we have. We are continuing to enjoy the bowl season that keeps on giving. We've had some awesome matchups the last couple nights. We had a quadruple header two days ago. Last Yesterday we had triple headers. So we are starting to really dive in to the bowl season a lot of entertaining storylines, a lot of entertaining topics. And as you know, we still have some great games coming up. But today, it's Thursday, right? We do this every Thursday, or at least we've done it every Thursday up to this point. A little throwback Thursday today, the team that finished ranked fourth in the College Football Playoff Committee rankings. We are going to break down the Ohio State Buckeyes season from start to finish And we're going to talk about what they need to do to pull off what would be one of the great upsets of the college football playoff era. And as I referenced, we're going to break down tomorrow. We're going to break down games against the spread with Chris the Bear Felica. But we're also going to break down the semifinal matchups tomorrow's show. So what does that mean? We have a ton of breakdowns that we need to do today for games that aren't semifinals, but certainly massive in their own right. So let's not waste any time. Now it's time for Let's Talk About It, presented by AT&T 5G. This episode is brought to you by AT&T, official sponsor of the college football playoff. Is checking your team stats at 2 a.m., watching highlights while eating with buddies, or catching the game during a wedding all too much? Nope, because too much college football is never too much. And AT&T 5G keeps you connected all season long. 5G requires compatible plan and device. 5G may not be available in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, the Ohio State Buckeyes, they've been a team we've followed all season long and really even into the offseason of last year. Remember, coming off the Rose Bowl victory against Utah, we were left talking about what Travion Henderson's going to be, what Jackson Smith and Jigba might be this year, talking also about what C.J. Stroud might do in his encore season as a third-year player. So we've talked a lot about the Ohio State Buckeyes and what they might look like, and boy, did we get it wrong. (laughs) We also talked about Jim Knowles. We talked about other aspects. We also, I mean, when you think about it, we didn't spend that much time. We did a little bit, right? But I can tell you this much. I can probably count on one hand, maybe two hands, how many times Ibuka's name was listed 
on this show or any other show leading up to the season. I've probably spent more time talking about Fleming than I did Igbuka. Didn't anticipate talking about Stover. Didn't anticipate talking about a bunch of guys the way we've talked about them this year. So it's a testament to the depth that they have on the roster that even in adversity, they've still found a way to be very successful and have found their way into the college football playoff. Let's start with week one. It was against Notre Dame. It was the most built-up game of the week one slate. And we were all, maybe I wasn't, maybe I was the only one, maybe you guys didn't feel this way. I was left feeling as though I was a little bit disappointed. We had talked all off-season about what it was going to look like, this aerial assault. It's going to be an unstoppable force through the year. There was really no way you were going to be able to contain the weapons that they had on the perimeter. C.J. Stroud wasn't going to miss a throw all season. And yet they come out and they go for 400 yards. It felt like maybe it could have been a little bit more. It was good on third down. They finished third of, uh, seven to 13. But it really wasn't the offensive performance that we were anticipating. And we actually came away from it. Remember, a lot of us came away from it thinking, hey, man, look at how much better Ohio State is on defense, thanks to Jim Knowles. And in addition to that, we sat there and said, man, look at how good Notre Dame is. I mean, Notre Dame, to be able to keep this team in check and to hold them to just 21 points, I mean, that is doing it. On that side of the ball, Marcus Freeman knows exactly how to maximize his personnel, and Notre Dame's going to be a problem moving forward. Well, clearly we found out the following week that Notre Dame was very human, and I do think Ohio State beat them twice. But if there was one question that was going into the season that we felt like we had answered at that point is that we now knew that Ohio State would be able to hold up physically in the trenches against a very physical football team. That was our big question mark, right? Were they going to be tough enough? If a team wanted to impose their will on the ground, could Ohio State weather the storm? And based on their week one performance, all of us came out of it thinking, yeah, they absolutely can. Jim Knowles was worth every penny that they paid to bring him from Stillwater to Columbus, Ohio. They went into the next week, Arkansas State and Toledo, two convincing victories. Looking back at it, you can make a pretty decent case that one of the best wins of their regular season was against Toledo and Toledo of course went on to win the Mac and even though Toledo had moments of inconsistencies they were still obviously a pretty good team all things considered then they rolled into the Big Ten and at this point Wisconsin had already had a loss they beat them up very convincingly 52 to 21 and they take it the next week against Rutgers, destroy Rutgers, and you go on the road to Michigan State. Nobody at this point was thinking Michigan State was going to be that good, but it was a road test. Maybe it'll be legit. This is really the first time we've seen them get out of their element. So let's see how they handle East Lansing, and let's see whether or not Michigan State can put together another good performance after what was the 2021 campaign in which they broke through. Obviously, Michigan State, not the same team. Ohio State went and took care of business, even though it was a little bit sloppy early. All things considered, it was a pretty solid performance. Iowa took care of business there. Iowa had no offensive heartbeat whatsoever. And then came the first real test of the college football season in the regular season beyond that of the Notre Dame game. Or at least at this point, we were phrasing it saying, well, Notre Dame's not great, right? They're kind of average, but they took care of Ohio State. Or Ohio State took care of them, but we haven't really seen much from Ohio State in the last six weeks. Well, here goes the road trip to Happy Valley. And at that point, Penn State was ranked number 13. But Penn State, a couple weeks earlier, they got beat up pretty good by the Michigan Wolverines. And all of us came away from it thinking, well, now we're going to be able to measure up. Here's how Michigan played against Penn State. 
here's how Ohio State is going to play against Penn State. And what was a very, very sloppy three-quarter performance, man, did they turn it on. And as soon as they rev their engines, we finally got what we'd been waiting for for the better part of two months. We finally got what we'd been waiting for from Ohio State, a fourth quarter for the ages. They ultimately were able to erase a deficit. They ended up winning the fourth quarter alone, 28-17. to 17. To think this score was 45 points in the fourth quarter by itself was a jaw-dropping statistic. They win the game, like I said, pretty, fairly comfortably, but after only 16 points in the first three quarters to explode for 28 in the fourth tells you all you need to know. And another guy that really emerged in this game with one of the great performances of our lifetime, JT Tulimolau. That was one of the best defensive performances you could ever imagine from one specific individual. He had interception. He had touchdown. He had constantly knocking down passes at the line of scrimmage. He had a couple sacks, caused a fumble, recovered a fumble. There was not something that you can do statistically, defensively, that he didn't do. It was one of the great performances of the season by a defensive player, and he now kind of took the step forward, and all of us collectively started to think, boy, maybe Ohio State on defense is going to kind of find that superstar, that new Bosa, and maybe Tui Molo'au is that. Then they go to Northwestern the following week, and we kind of came away again with some question marks about the Buckeyes. Not that they didn't have talent, not that they didn't have skill. We knew they had all those things, but in the elements, and we're talking elements now, talking 50 mile an hour wind gusts right there blowing off of Lake Michigan and Evanston. It was not pretty whatsoever offensively. And you kind of found yourself sitting there and Northwestern going into that game, they were ranked in the mid 100s or so, and they were triple digits, if you will, against the run. And yet Ohio State really couldn't get a whole lot going on the ground. And that, to me, was mystifying because they have this offensive line with two gigantic tackles. They have big physical defense, or big physical guys on the interior of the offensive line and the center that's pretty solid as well. Everyone on their offensive line will likely play on Sundays, but, man, they got pushed around by a group that had been porous against the run up to that point. And Ohio State ultimately ended up running for 207 yards in the game. So statistically speaking, it wasn't bad as the game went along, but it left us wondering if C.J. Stroud goes out and has a performance like he did here. Obviously, it's unlikely that he's going to repeat a performance of 10 of 26 for 70 six yards, if you will. If you have all things that are perfect, I don't think he would have ever been that way. If they played the game in a dome, it would never be 10 of 26. But in the elements, in the exposed elements, can Ohio State win a game in which the offense isn't going to take flight against quality competition? Y'all, at this point, Northwestern was 1-7 going into the game. They were 1-5 in the conference. Their only win came the first week of the season, week zero against Nebraska. Northwestern was awful awful this year and they gave Ohio State all they wanted into the fourth quarter down just 14-7 heading into the final frame so I think Ohio State this is one where we kind of wanted to wonder all right if they can't throw the ball and if for whatever reason the passing game is limited can they run it down a quality opponent's throat the answer at this point was maybe but still at this point also a little TBD they go the next week to Indiana They take care of business in that game. It was never competitive whatsoever. 
Then they go on the road to Maryland. And this was the second to last week of the regular season. Felt like this was going to be a good character-defining test because Ohio State, everyone's talking about Michigan. I called the game. All right, I called the Ohio State-Maryland game, and I remember listening to Ohio State podcasts leading up to that week. There was not one mention of Maryland the entire week. It was all about Michigan. It was all about what will this week look like because we don't really care about it. All we care about is next week. And I felt like there was so much being attention, all the attention being paid to Michigan that maybe Ohio State will come out a little bit flat. It's exactly what happened. So they came out a little bit flat. Maryland, to their credit, made some nice plays, did some quality things throughout the course of it. Of course, Dupree had a solid performance. After the first drive that Ohio State put together, Maryland answered with a couple field goals themselves, and they actually took the lead going into halftime. Now, the third quarter was all Buckeyes. They came out absolutely dominated. Dallin Hayden introduced himself to America and we started to think this guy's the real deal. And if for whatever reason, Mayan Williams can't go and if Henderson, if for whatever reason, isn't at a hundred percent, it's all good because you have this guy in Dallin Hayden that can certainly carry the load. The fourth quarter, obviously it became close again. Maryland cut the score 27, 21, and then they actually got it to within three where Ohio state was up 33, 30, before Ruggles kicked the field goal there with about 42 seconds left. But still, Maryland had the football under a minute, down six with an opportunity to win the football game. Now, it never felt like they were going to be able to drive the distance and take the take the win. It didn't feel that way, but it was possible. And at this point, you're like, all right, hey, they survived. They were looking ahead. Understandable, they didn't have their best stuff. They'll be ready to go next week. And then... Here comes the Michigan game. And this was such a wild game because if you watch the first quarter, just watch the first quarter and watch nothing else, you probably would tell yourself Ohio State dominates, right? That's what you're thinking. Because in the first quarter, Michigan couldn't get much going whatsoever. Ohio State on the first drive went right down the field, scored a touchdown. If you stopped it after 15 minutes, you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, Ohio State is in full control of this football game. And then boom, it flipped in an instant. And you're sitting there thinking to yourselves, all right, hit Johnson on the hitch route because Ohio State completely overplays the pressure. They have one-on-one on the perimeter, missed tackle, Johnson out the gate, 69 yards. Then Ohio State answered nicely with the field goal of their own. And then the next drive, not but a play later, it might have been the first play of the drive, I might add, first play after they cut the lead to 10-10. Then play action, Johnson, big post off the motion, touchdown, perfect throw, perfect catch, and then the route was on. Now you're going to sit there and say, all right, well, no, it wasn't a route at that point. Ohio State actually had the lead going in to the second half. Yes, understood. But you could tell there was a completely different psyche on the sideline from Ohio State after the two big plays given up to the Michigan wide receiver, Cornelius Johnson. In the third quarter, the defense for Michigan started to clamp down. The separation that was created started to get a little bit tighter, and the pressure started to ramp up as well. Michigan, of course, had a fourth quarter to remember, a couple massive plays. They started the scoring up 31-20. McCarthy had that touchdown run, and then their midway point, Felt like it was now or never for Ohio State to really get back into it. Donovan Edwards, 75 yards. Donovan Edwards, 85 yards. Put the game on ice. 
Now, a lot of people will say, well, there was five big plays. If not for those five big plays, the game would have looked very different. Yeah, but those five big plays happened. And how do you know they're not going to happen again? I think there's a legitimate question to be asked there. Are they going to be as do or die on defense? Or are they willing to play maybe a little bit more conservative and try to keep the ball in front? Because the big plays ultimately where they're undoing they're against Ohio State because they were very aggressive defensively all season long. That's who Jim Knowles is. But if they're not going to be as aggressive, they take away a little of their identity, sure, but you're also probably not going to get gashed for big plays both on the ground and through the air. Now, where is Ohio State today? We'll sum it up by saying, y'all, this is still an outrageously talented football team. This is still a football team that if they have their A game, they beat anybody in college football. They can beat anybody in college football. Here's where I still have some concerns. One, I just referenced it. Defensively, they are very much a do-or-die defense. They're not afraid to bring the house. They're not afraid to bring separate pressure looks. They're not afraid to be aggressive. And while I respect all that, and you can force a lot of mistakes to the opposing team by playing that way, you can also create big plays if you're not completely in unison. And if you look at their second-level defenders against Georgia, it's going to be of the utmost importance for Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers to play the best game of the season as far as their eyes are concerned, as far as them being able to communicate, and as far as them tackling in space because Georgia's got some guys that can run after the catch as well. Offensively speaking, Ohio State, here's what I'm most concerned about. I think their offensive line is average as the day is long. And you can tell me, as much as you want as an NFL draft analyst that Paris Johnson's a top 10 pick, you can tell me that Dewan Jones at right tackle is a third round pick, second round pick, whatever. I understand that he's 6'8", 380. That's fine. I think he's average. And I also think the interior of the offensive line can at times get pushed around. That's not a good recipe. So you've had 15 practices if you're Ryan Day. You can't all of a sudden overnight turn into this blue-collar, slobber-knocker football team. That's not going to happen. But what you can do is you can play to your own strengths. Get the ball out of C.J. Stroud's hands really quickly. Get the ball on the perimeter to your elite skill. Find matchups by way of motion for Marvin Harrison. Find matchups in the slot for Igbuka. Use your tight end who I think is one of, if not the most underrated players in America, but nobody talks about how good Cade Stover is, not just in the run game, but also in the catch game as well. He needs to be a significant factor. But Ohio State had a phenomenally great year, and I think that they have a chance if they play their best game to give anybody in college football fits. The problem is, will we see their best game on the biggest stage? Because if we don't, Georgia will take care of business yet again. Let's talk about it. It's brought to you by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, let's get things started on Friday night, a game that I'll be on the call for. Very excited about the matchup, the Capital One Orange Bowl, and we have a lot of different storylines to try to angle into this game. Let's start with Clemson. They're the ACC champs. So we'll start here. Cade Klubnick is going to get his first start. Obviously, very exciting for all of us that have followed Cade Klubnick, for all of us that have followed the storyline and the trajectory of the Clemson Tigers all season long. A lot of us, upon you know further review, I'll explain in a moment, a lot of us said after week one, it's like, man, he's clearly the best man for the job. Like, why is he not starting? Well, once you dive a little bit deeper and you start to really watch the physical gifts are there. There's no denying he's fast, he's accurate, he can run, he can throw it down the field, he can do all those things. But the processing, for whatever reason, just wasn't there. And think about what Clemson is this year. They're going to be a team that was going to rely on great defense in the front seven, that was going to just squeeze you down and win on that side of the ball by controlling the line of scrimmage, running the football, shortening the game, Kind of old school, frankly, in a lot of ways, because they had uncertainty at wide receiver. So we talked about Clemson as being kind of a run-first defensive-oriented football team. So what do you want at quarterback if you're going to have that approach? You want a guy that's going to take care of the football, a guy that's smart, a guy that's not going to put you in harm's way and that's not going to make mistakes. Well, DJ Uyunglele, frankly, should have been all those things. Problem is he wasn't. He made plenty of mistakes. So ultimately, after seven snaps in the ACC championship game, they decided to pull the plug. DJ, third series is going to be Cades either way. But if he plays well, it's his show from this point forward. And boy, did he play well. ACC championship game MVP, threw for 279 and a touchdown. Also ran for 30 yards and a touchdown and a win against North Carolina. Now... Who does he have on the perimeter? Antonio Williams is a star at wide receiver. True freshman number zero. He's the real deal. Will Shipley and Phil Moffat running back are a really solid one-two punch in a defense and an offensive line that's good, not great. Left tackle is great. Everybody else, solid. Not, not spectacular. Defensively, they are without a few pieces. A couple guys in the portal. Miles Murphy decided to opt out. Trenton Simpson's hurt, so he won't be available. But either way, for the most part, defensively in the back end should be in pretty good shape to go up against what should be a highly potent Tennessee passing attack. Clemson in pretty good shape going into this game. They're a five and a half, six and a half, depending on where you're at, point favorite. The other side of the football, Tennessee. Let's talk about them. What is Tennessee? Well, the more I've dove in, And the more I've watched this team, and when you have bowl games and you're doing your preparation for the bowl game, you have ample time. You're almost studying too much, and I feel like I kind of might have fallen victim to that. (laughs) The more I dove into Tennessee this year, the more I realized, while yes, they're big on the downfield throws, while yes, they're big on creating big plays, this is a team that really wants to run the football more than anything else. 
and the most underappreciated running back in America, you can make a strong argument, it might be Jabari Small. He's the real deal. He's got great wiggle. He's got great top end speed. The initial defender at the second level, usually the second level defenders unblocked in their offense. He's going to be unblocked. And more often than not, you look at Jabari Small, he's going to make guys miss. He is extremely explosive in the open field. He's the perfect back for what they want to be offensively. Now, next to him in the backfield is a guy that most college football fans will know, but maybe don't know as much about as it relates to his time at Tennessee. Previously of Michigan, Joe Milton will be under center. Now, here's the problem with Joe Milton. He's got arguably the strongest arm in the game. There's very few people that have a stronger arm than Joe Milton. I'm not sure I've seen one, if I'm going to be honest. In college football recently, I'm not sure I've seen an arm that's stronger than Joe Milton. And we've seen a lot. Patrick Mahomes, all these guys. I mean, like massive, massive, massive arm talent. Nobody's arm is as strong as Joe Milton's. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's that strong. The problem is it's erratic as can be, especially on the downfield throws. His arm is almost too strong for his own good. So when he throws the ball down the field, more often than not, it's overthrown because his receivers can't catch up to the football. So what he needs to make sure he does in this game, he's got to give his receivers a chance and overthrows are just long foul balls. They mean absolutely nothing. And wide receiver Jalen Hylett's not playing, and you also are going to be without the services of Cedric Tillman, who really had an ankle injury most of the year anyway. So they're good without their top two guys, but they still have quality pieces. Squirrel White is really good. Squirrel's excellent. He's number 10. You also have Ramel Keaton. He's number 80. He's really solid as well. And Brew McCoy announced that he will be back. He's number 15. He'll be back in the game as well. So those will probably be the three guys that you'll see at wide receiver very still, very much still capable of complementing that run game. But of those three, who scares you the most? It's Brew McCoy for sure. He'll be your primary X receiver. And then on the defense side of the football team that played awful in their second to last game, great in their last game, what are we going to get? Is an aggressive group. They want to create disruption along the line of scrimmage. They want to come after you and create negative plays and get you off schedule. But ultimately, the defense, they're going to be tasked with kind of slowing down an offense that at times this year has been a bit one-dimensional. How much will they allow Cade Klubnick to push the ball down the field? We'll find out. How much will Will Shipley be able to run the football? We'll find out. But I think it's a terrific matchup with two teams that are excited to be there. Tennessee to finish their season on the high note after what was a great breakthrough year in year number two for Josh Heupel. Then on the other side, Dabo Sweeney trying to win 12 games for the sixth time since 2015. All right, moving on Saturday morning to well morning mid-afternoon whatever it is whatever time zone you're in three quarters of the country this game will be played in the morning so i'm going to go with saturday morning the all-state sugar bowl featuring the alabama crimson tide and the kansas state wildcats should be a great one very very excited about the matchup let's start with alabama they're the favorite coming into the game here's what i'm trying to figure out with alabama there is this narrative surrounding alabama that they don't want to be there, they don't play well, they don't care about the Sugar Bowl, they don't have all these things, because people have cited two examples in which they didn't play well in the postseason. 2014 against Oklahoma, that was the Trevor Knight game. A lot of people remember that. That was after the kick six, and they played poorly in that game against Auburn, and then ultimately, because of really bad leadership on that team, awful leadership, they lost the game badly to Oklahoma. They didn't want to be there and they showed up uninspired. 2008 was the other example when they lost to Utah. I was on that team. I was a backup quarterback on that team. And frankly, we thought we were going to go in there and walk the dog. That's as simple as that. We looked at Utah and we're like, they're not any good. We're going to smoke them. Clearly, we got our 
butts handed to us. Okay. So those are the two examples that everybody likes to cite. What people tend to forget and what people tend to leave out 2010 against Michigan state. My final game as a college football player. We went out, we were up 42, nothing at halftime before I was pulled there in the midway through the second quarter. Cause it was such a beat down. It's the first time. And the only time in my career in which I honestly felt bad for the opposing quarterback. Kirk cousins was the opposing quarterback. He had to have gotten hit 45 times in the game. Poor guy got absolutely buried. And Pat Narduzzi still to this day reminds me, says, I don't know why you guys decided to play the way you played that day, but we were ticked off and we wanted to end the season on a high note. And we did. 2019, the Citrus Bowl, another game in which Bama really had nothing to play for. People saying, well, Michigan, you know, Michigan's got more on the table. They need it more than Alabama. Alabama, people saying everyone's going to opt out. Well, Alabama had two players opt out. And they went out and they took care of business in convincing fashion against Michigan. So people are always seemingly pointing to games in which Alabama has nothing to play for, so they're going to be flat. Well, they've only that's only happened a couple of times, and it's been eight years since that happened last. So I think Alabama is going to show up, and I think Alabama is going to play well. I'd be surprised. This is a culture indicator. Bryce Young wants to play. Will Anderson wants to play. The other guys want to play. I'd be surprised if they didn't play well in the game. Now, that doesn't mean they're just going to show up and roll, you know, and, and roll Kansas State and Coach Chris Kleiman because he's 3-0 and in his career against AP top five opponents. The only coach with multiple such wins without a loss is on the other, you know, on the other sideline. You know, I mean, he's the only coach Kleiman is without a loss, right? On the other sideline, Nick Saban's had 67 career wins against AP top 15 opponents, 11 more than any other coach in the AP poll era. So both these coaches, you know, very, very well accustomed to playing in situations like this. But if you look at Kansas State and how Kleiman's performed, obviously not as many opportunities, he's done a really good job. You think about what Kansas State is in pursuit of. 10 outright wins as an underdog. That's pretty insane. Since Kleiman's taken over, I'm not talking about this year. Since Kleiman's taken over, they have 10 outright wins as an underdog. That's tied for the fifth most in the FBS over that span. Kansas State is 14-10 and 10 against the spread as an underdog since he's been there as well. So we're talking about a team that has really performed well when nobody gives them a chance. Let's think about who they are as far as the personnel is concerned. Now, people will look at what Kansas if- State, and they're going to spend an awful lot of time talking about the quarterback situation. Will Howard has stepped into the quarterback spot and has provided a spark. Now, Adrian Martinez was playing well. He was fine. Adrian Martinez had six to one touchdown interception ratio. Adrian Martinez at the time in which he was benched was the second leading rusher. Like he was playing decent football, got banged up. And as a result, Will Howard came in and now Wally pipped Adrian Martinez. Will Howard has been more predictable through the air throwing for nearly 1,500 yards. And I referenced the 6-1 to one touchdown interception ratio that Adrian Martinez has. Well, how about Will Howard? Try this one on for size. 15-2 to two touchdown interception ratio. But everybody knows that this offense is going to run through Deuce Vaughn. He's one of the best in America, especially as it comes to perimeter runs. They are excellent on the perimeter. Really, really good. And they're going to do an awful lot with creating seams and meshes and forcing Alabama to try to play sideline to sideline. Alabama's been pretty good against the run most of the time this year. But this is a group that's really going to attack you in different ways. You don't see this style of attack as often in the SEC. So perimeter run game is going to be very interesting, especially with quarterback reads and how do they manufacture big plays off of play action. 
Another thing you need to be real mindful of too, Alabama's offensive line at times this year has been a little leaky. They have good personnel, but for whatever reason, they've been a bit up and down. This pass rush and this defensive front that you're going to see from Kansas State is going to create a lot of issues. They have the perimeter guys and DK Zama, one of the best in America, but do not forget the big guy in the middle, Eli Huggins, who's really big, who's really physical, that can push the pocket against quality centers even. He saw some good ones throughout the course of the season, but he's a handful there in the middle of the defense as well. So I look at this game, I think it's going to be a heck of a game. Heck of a game. But ultimately, if Bama shows up and wants to be there, they're the better team, they have more talent, and I'm taking the tide. I think they'll take care of business, but I would be shocked. I would be absolutely shocked if this game got sideways. I think Kansas State is really good. I think Kansas State is really well coached. I think their pass rush can be problematic, and I think their run game can be problematic as well because you're going to shorten the game and try to create opportunities by staying on schedule offensively. I like Bama to win, but I think Kansas State keeps it close. All right, now moving on to some games that will be played on Monday. I'm excited about this. I love the idea of having daytime action there on January 2nd. Of course, we lose January 1st this year. It's obviously a college football holiday, but January 2nd, it'll do. The Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, the Tulane Green Wave take on the USC Trojans. I think this game's going to get sideways. I'm just telling you in advance right now. I think Caleb Williams will play. I do. I think a hamstring injury, don't exactly know the extent. At this point, we're all kind of guessing as to whether or not he's going to be available. But I happen to think Caleb Williams is going to be out there. I also think, too, that USC was a team this year that thrived on creating opportunities by way of interceptions and by turning over other teams. Plus 21 turnover margin this year. They've only had just six turnovers, which is plus seven in the margin, better than anyone else in the FBS. So as long as they don't turn the ball over in bunches against Tulane, they should be in good shape, right? But if you look at Tulane, I think Tulane's going to be able to help Ty J. Spears, who's one of the best backs in America, I think they're going to be able to help him in space. And I don't think Michael Pratt's going to be in a position to really carve up SC. I think they're going to be able to run the ball with some consistency. And if you look at Tulane too, man, you have to measure. And I know this is a little bit of a tired narrative. I get that. But it is an, it's a real narrative. Look at how the group of five more often than not, has fared against the Power Five in games like this. One team's Super Bowl, another team's disappointed to be there. SC had their heart ripped out. Tulane couldn't be more fired up about the opportunity. It's their biggest bowl appearance since 1940, when they were in the SEC. So it's been 70 years, 80 years, since they played in a game of this magnitude. And to do so against the Heisman Trophy winner and the USC Trojans, Tulane is going to be so fired up to be in this game, and I think they'll play really well. When you look at what Tulane does, they obviously want to run the football. They want to be physical along the line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively, and there are legitimate questions about SC. Will they be able to hold up in the trenches against a quality run game? I don't know. We're going to find out. Will they be able to get off the field against a throw game that is opportunistic, especially off play action? I don't know. We're going to find out. But ultimately, it felt like so much of SC's success this year in all phases, were the result of Caleb Williams being a superstar. Well, if he's at anything less than 100%, as evidenced by the performance in the Pac-12 championship game, they are not the same team. And I don't know if he's going to be at 100%. I don't even know if he's going to play. 
But if he doesn't, I think SC could get rolled. I really believe that. I like Tulane to take care of business and to win the game because I think that they're going to be more fired up to be there. I think they're a little bit, in some cases, more physical. And I also think, too, this run game that they're going to put out there against SC, it's one of the better run games that SC's seen all year. So they better be ready to tackle in space, and they better be ready to hold the point of attack because if they don't, they're going to be in for a dogfight, and that's exactly what I expect to happen. All right, the Rose Bowl game presented by Prudential. This will be 5 o'clock Eastern time there in Pasadena. What a setting it'll be. Penn State now going to the Rose Bowl for the first time in a few years. Utah back in the Rose Bowl for the second consecutive time after they were very impressive in the route against the USC Trojans. Where are these teams right now? Let's start with Utah. Utah is going to be without some of their weapons. They're at far less than 100%. Dalton Kincaid is out. Brent Keithy obviously was injured earlier in the year. They still, of course, have weapons. Utah always seems to have weapons. Might not necessarily be household names, but Vele is solid. Money Parks is solid. You have Mike Bernard, who's very solid as well in the past game. You're going to have guys that can contribute in the past game. Plus, Thomas Yasmin, he did an outstanding job, outstanding job at times in the Pac-12 championship game. So everybody seems to be saying, like, well, Utah's without Dalton Kincaid. How are they going to move the ball to the air? Well, Dalton Kincaid is certainly their best weapon. There's no denying that. But it's not like they're void of talent. Yasmin averages at tight end. He only had 12 catches, but he went for 300 yards. The guy averages 25 yards per catch at tight end. So how do you think he's going to be used in this game? They also have really good running backs. Now it's kind of a running back by committee approach, and you know that Cam Rising is going to be a factor in the run game as well. And you look at who they're going against defensively. Penn State's really good. I think Penn State's very good defensively. I think they are very underrated on that side of the ball. People made up their mind about Penn State based on how they played in the Michigan game, and people started to think, well, that defense is very gettable, and they're just not that good, and all this other stuff. Fine. They played awful. They played awful against Michigan. They did at all three levels. They have young linebackers at certain spots. They played out of position. The defensive line and the linebackers were not in unison. As a result, they got gashed. Guys were trying to do too much. They panicked, and it got sideways on them. But most of the time, when you look at how Penn State has played, they've fared pretty dang well time and time again this year against quality offensive football teams. So I think their defense will be ready for the test. Jair Brown might be the best defensive player on the field. Abdul Carter, young player. How is he going to fare now after 15 bowl practices where he can kind of take a deep breath? It's a young player. Now maybe he's going to be at his very best moving forward. You have a couple guys along the defensive front that are going to be playing their final game. P.J. Mustafer comes to mind. He'll be disrupted there at defensive tackle, and this is not a game, if Joey Porter's out, it's not a game that you're really going to be too worried about having a great secondary player. If you're without your best corner, it's not the end of the world because who's the wide receiver for Utah that you're really losing a lot of sleep over? Not a ton. I mean, they have a bunch of guys, but they're all solid and they're kind of interchangeable. So I think that this is a game in which Penn State matches up pretty well with their defense going up against Utah's offense. Now, on the other side, this is where I'm a little bit concerned about Penn State. Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen at running the football, they are terrific. We know that. Two exceptionally good backs that went for a combined 1,700-plus yards, nearly 1,800 yards, and 19 touchdowns. I mean, these are guys that can flat out get it done on the ground. 
But you know, or at least this is the way I would play it, if I were Utah's defensive staff, I got to eliminate those two guys because if I can bottle them up before they get going, those two guys are really dangerous when they get to the open field. If you can bottle them up before they get going, they're very human. They're not guys that can – a lot of guys refer to running backs kind of like basketball players. Like, can he create his own shot? Yeah, maybe in time. But ultimately, Singleton and Catron Allen, they hit the hole at 100 miles an hour, and if they hit it untouched, they're out the gate. But can they create their own shot? Can they wiggle? That's not exactly who they are at this stage of their development. So I'm ultimately going to put the game on Sean Clifford's shoulders. Sean Clifford's a mixed bag. There have been moments where I think he's been pretty dang good this year, but there's been moments where he's been a little bit off target. There's been moments where he's been pretty accurate. There's been moments where he's missed a lot of throws. I happen to think Sean Clifford gets a little bit of a bad rap. I think he's solid. I don't think he's a superstar, but I think he's solid. And I think he understands when to use his legs to help his offense out. I mean, this is a guy this year that has a 62-yard run, also has added five touchdowns on the ground. So this is a guy that has done some things this year that are pretty dang good. All things considered, I think it's a really good matchup between what Utah is and what you see Penn State as being. I lean Utah in the game. I think Utah is better coached, and I think Utah will create some issues that Penn State hasn't seen just yet. I think Manny Diaz will have Penn State's defense ready to play, and I expect this game to be a little bit more lower scoring. But ultimately, I like Utah in the game. It should be a very physical, it should be a really fun edition of the Rose Bowl game. Hey, thanks for being with us. What a great show today. As we talked about all the New Year's Six games, we're going to get to the semifinal games tomorrow. We're also going to break down a couple other games as well. We're not going to just exclusively talk about what's going on with the New Year's Six and the, you know, the championship and the semifinal. Like we're going to have time to break down all these games. I assure you, I'm in Bristol, Connecticut. I am literally wearing a seatbelt watching all this college football and consuming all this college football. And we have a lot of guys that we need to update you on. We'll do it next week. Of course, we're going to be preparing for the national championship, but we got to get to some of the portal movement. A lot of guys that are moving, still some interesting tidbits as far as the recruiting process is concerned, interesting tidbits as far as where guys might be heading, rumor mill, all kinds of fun stuff that we need to get to next week. So keep it locked in right here. But tomorrow will be about games. There's no denying what tomorrow is going to be about. There's no denying what most of next week is going to be about. It's about the games. All right, we're going to do the bigger picture. We're here with you all off season. We're not going anywhere. That's what always college football means, right? Always, right? We're always going to be here for you. So we're always going to be talking college football. And that's exactly what we intend to do. However, we still have a few more games left. So we're going to dive in as best we can to preview the matchups and break down the outcomes here in the days to come. Chris the Bear Felica joins us tomorrow. We'll hit some games against the spread. So you don't want to miss that as well. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack Schrail and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, Always College Football with Greg McElroy is presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.